Amen. All right. Now, this is cool. I'm not, uh, this is such a cool story. I have to do this disclaimer before I even start. This is a true story. Okay. I'm not making this up. This is actually recorded in church history. Imagine if you were this guy, right? His name is Telemachus. Now, how many of you guys realize that that'd be rough in the kindergarten? trying to spell that thing. Kids make funny. But besides that, he had a really cool life. Listen, the year was 391 AD, and Telemachus was a godly Christian man who lived in a remote village, and he was tending his garden, spending much of his time with the Lord in prayer. Christian thing to do. However, one day he felt called to go to Rome by the Lord, and so he obeyed, and he set out on foot. Weeks later, he arrived in the city at the time of a great festival. So Telemachus, he followed the crowd, got into the groove there, so to speak, and where they were going, and they're surging down the streets. They're all headed towards the Colosseum. And there he saw, true story, the gladiator stand before the emperor and say, we who are about to die salute you. And suddenly Telemachus realized that these men were going to fight to the death for the entertainment of the crowd. Good thing we don't see that today on TV. Anyway, so, so, the fight, and so, so, so he cried out, true story, Telemachus cried out, he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, stop! But nobody would listen. So he pushed his way through the crowd, he climbed over the wall, he dropped onto the floor of the arena there, and when the crowd saw this tiny little figure rushing towards the gladiator, saying, in the name of Christ, stop! In the name of Christ, stop! They thought it was a part of the show, they actually began to laugh. But as soon as they found out it wasn't a part of the show, the laughter turned to anger. And as Telemachus was pleading with the gladiators to stop, one of them plunged a sword into his body and he fell in the sand. And as he lay there dying, Telemachus' last words, one last time, was in the name of Christ. Stop. And he died. And then a strange thing happened. The gladiator stood looking at the tiny little figure there, lying there, and a, a hush fell over the whole Colosseum. Suddenly, way up in the upper rows, a man stood up and made his way to the exit. Then the others began to follow. And in dead silence, every single person left the Colosseum that day. In fact, historically, it was to be the last battle to the death in the Roman Colosseum. Never again in that great stadium did men kill each other for the entertainment of the crowd. Why? Because one tiny voice that could be barely heard above the crowd courageously spoke the truth in God's name, in the name of Jesus Christ. Wow. Now, obviously, other than the sword thing, right? I mean, this really happened. How many guys would say that Telemachus had a pretty cool life as a Christian? I mean, this really happened. One guy. God used one guy to affect the culture and the direction of a whole nation. That is the life worth living for, for Jesus. Amen? But that's right, folks. In our study, we've got a problem. Even though God's the same God, we're just as much his children as Telemachus is, right? Hello, of course, okay? Let's, let's be, uh, deal with the facts. Most Christians today, we read the Bible on one hand, we look at our lives in the other, and we're going, man, there's a disconnect here. What's going on? Something doesn't compute. It's not matching up. How come these guys like Telemachus get to have this amazing, fruitful walk with Jesus Christ? I mean, one guy literally was used by the Spirit of God to affect a whole nation. And here I am, today as a Christian in America, and I, I'm just fumbling around the dark. I don't have this life worth living for. I got a life worth giving up. Now, that's the bad news. The good news is it doesn't have to be that way. Because we've been seeing in our study, this kind of life, a life worth living for, yes, believe it or not, like Telemachus, is available to every single Christian. One more time, let's say it again. Turn to somebody and say, hey, that means you, pal. Go ahead. It's encouragement today. Right? That means you, okay? And that's why we're going to continue our study, a life worth 
living for. Okay, now what we're doing is looking at some different keys that I believe scripturally are pivotal if you and I here at Sunrise are going to live these lives by the Spirit of God that are worth living for before Jesus Christ comes back and gets us very fruitful, yes, believe it or not, impacting a whole nation, a whole culture, just like Telemachus. Now, we've already seen the first six times the first key to that life worth living for is when you and I rediscover how to experience God's joy. He's already given it to us, but the enemy comes in and he short circuits it and gets us to act joyless like the rest of the world. Okay, not a very good witness. The last five times we saw the second key to that life worth living for is when you and I experience God's peace. He's not only given us scripture. I didn't say Jesus did. I've given you my joy. I've also given you my peace. And what kind of peace did we get from Jesus? Remember that? At Rayonet, it was tranquilized. Your house is burning down. It was awesome peace, right? Not this fake peace from the world. God's already given to us, okay? And what, what happens is we forget that. We allow the enemy to trick us into short-circuiting that. And so our witness goes right out the window right what do we see there we, we, we say you know we're as christians we're supposed to witness we we get that and we we walk around people hey hi there i'm a christian wouldn't you like to be one too hey ever since i gave my life to jesus christ and surrendered to him i've been filled with such joy such peace it's been awesome i mean don't you want to have that peace too and five seconds later we watch the news we look at what's going on in the world we'll read, oh, we're freaked out but now just like everybody else we don't have peace and for those of you wondering that's not a very good witness for Jesus. <laughs> okay, that's what we're doing. And the reason why is because the enemy tricks us. We've already got it, but he tricks us into short-circuiting it, and so we miss out on it. It doesn't have to be that way. Now, the last time we saw the third way that the enemy tricks us into short-circuiting God's peace, he's already given to us to be those amazing, effective witnesses for Jesus, is he gets us to have this misplaced focus. Okay, a misplaced focus, okay? Now, we were out of the study for a little bit. Now we're back, so I want to do a little bit of a recap, okay? Uh, we saw that the first thing he does is gets us to have a misplaced mind, right? With the music and the medium, we're all frazzled and winged out. Then he gets us to go into step two with a misplaced lifestyle. Now he tricked us into losing that peace that God's already given to us, and then he suckers us in with saying, hey, you want that peace back? Don't turn to God. Don't turn to Jesus. No, you need to buy things, things, and materialism, and all these things will give you peace. And life. Instead of Jesus, hello, the Prince of Peace who made this world and the world to come. We saw that. And then last time we saw he gets us to have this misplaced focus. It's all about me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity okay, is what that focus is about. And he got us to buy into that lie, which is the heart of Satan, if you guys recall that, right? Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, Satan's fall, what happened in his fall? What caused Satan to fall from heaven? I will be like God. I will be like the Most High. I will ascend to the Mount of the Assembly. I will be, ah, he had an eye problem. That's the heart of Satan. That's what causes sin. Sin, S-I-N, what's in the middle? I. Every time we choose to sin against God, we're choosing I above God. Now, we know that, but the enemy comes in, and he's coming even to the church to get us to live like Satan, full of self, it's all about self, and destroy God's peace with this lie called self-love, self-esteem. And he actually has this thinking that somehow if you just love yourself and esteem yourself and respect yourself more than others, certainly even more than God, then that's how you're going to have peace. Are you kidding me? The number one law of Satanism we saw is do what you will shall be the whole of the law. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we're to be outward focused. We're supposed to be like Jesus. We're supposed to be more concerned about others and serving God. God comes first, other people, self comes last. That's what you need to live. That's how you need to live if you're going to have his peace on a regular basis. But that's not all the second half of that. The second way that the enemy tricks us into being full of self, short-circuiting God's peace, acting just like Satan instead of Jesus, is with a false attitude. Now, that false attitude, I know none of us here have this. I basically break it down and call it this, the center of the universe-itis. 
Da, da, da. Doesn't that sound dramatic? How many of you guys, um, husbands and wives, you've, you've ever, one of you have had that attitude, the center of the universe-itis? Now, men, those of you who just looked at your wife, it's going to be a long ride home. You know what I'm saying? No, you should have looked forward. I baited you, but you stepped right into it. But anyway, <laughs> right? we think the whole world revolves around us, right? You, you see, first, you bought into this lie. Hey, be like Satan. Be like Satan. It's all about you. And it becomes a way of life. And everywhere you live your life, it's all about you. Did you know the scripture says that's exactly the opposite? Not just to experience God's peace on a regular basis, that's the exact opposite of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. I didn't say that he did. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew 16. Let's take a look at that. Are we really supposed to put self first? I don't think so. According to Jesus, Matthew 16, verse 21 through 25. Let's take a look there. And if you find Mark, what do you do? Hang your left or tell him to get in here. Service has already started. Uh, Matthew 16. And we're going to start with verse 21 to grab the context. I wanted to grab the context because I think that really illuminates what we're about to read uh, and, and what Jesus says about what are we supposed to do with ourself, okay? Where does that come in line? Matthew 16, all right, uh, verse 21, here's what it says. Now, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must, it's an imperative, he must go to Jerusalem and what? Suffer. Are you going to have to suffer to follow Jesus? Is it always going to be easy? Of course, it's not. He says he, even he had to suffer, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must, it's an imperative, he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So Peter, listen to this, man, this is, talk about audacious. Peter takes him aside, Jesus, and began to what? Can you imagine, not just disagreeing with God, can you imagine rebuking God? This is what's going, he's rebuking God. I'm glad we don't do that. Uh-oh. Maybe I should skip the rest of my notes. Let's move on. Uh, and he says, never, Lord. Listen, exclamation point. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to what? You. Remember, it's you. Center of the universe is all about you, preserving you, you, you. And what was Jesus' response? You're absolutely right. Because Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung had it correct. You must always worship yourself. I should not have to suffer, let alone die, and do hard things for God. Oh, I'm sorry, wrong translation. What did he say? Hey, Jesus turned to Peter and says, get behind me. Who? Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you do not have in mind the things of what? God, but the things of what? Man, you're thinking self-centered, okay? It's all about man, you. Then Jesus said to his disciples, now that's the context. Now read this. He boils right into that and says, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must, what's the first thing on the list? Deny yourself, of course, right? Because that attitude, it's all about self, as Peter just tried to get Jesus to go down, was a stumbling block. That's from Satan. So the first thing he says, get rid of that. You must deny yourself, he says. Take up your cross. What's that? Instrument of suffering and death. And follow me. Why? For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever will lose his life for me will what? Will find it. So according to our text, when you grab the context, I think there's a lot more going on uh, than meets the eye. Jesus, first of all, says, if you and I as a Christian, we know that we're not guaranteed a rose garden, a perfect life. Heaven comes later. We're on this side of heaven, okay? But he says, if you want to have a great life, if you want to experience life, i.e. the greatest life possible this side of heaven, if you want to experience his peace, because even when Jesus was going to the cross, did you see him freaking out? Even when he was dying, on, did you see him freak? No. So even in the midst of the things that you suffer as a Christian, you can still have God's peace. 
So he says, if you want to have the greatest life possible, let alone experience God's peace in the midst of some pretty hard times, what do you do? What's the very first thing you better do if you want that? You must deny yourself. You have to have the same attitude as Jesus that was selfless. You cannot listen to Satan, who apparently infected Peter with this self-centered, man-centered way, demanding your own way, it's got to go my way, when times get tough and it disagrees with me and my center of the universe. Never. He says, you got to get rid of that. Now, it's what's called a paradox in Scripture, okay? And this is cool. This could be a whole study in itself. This isn't the first one we see. They're all over the Scripture, which God being supreme being, I expect. I expect there's some things to God that don't seem to always compute my brain. Because if I could figure out everything about God, what kind of a God is that? He's no bigger than my brain. And that would scare my wife, right? <laughs> right? So I expect certain things, right? And so we see the Scripture says, uh, uh, all of our friends said, Jesus, if you want to be the greatest, you have to be the least. If you want to be exalted, you got to be humbled. If you want to be wise, you got to don't bring chicken at the potluck next week is what's going on. No, I'm just kidding. No, you got to be a fool, right? Okay, if you want to be first, you got to be the last. And so here we have it again. He says, if you want to experience life, if you want the best possible life this side of heaven, the first thing you must do is lose it. Here's my point and bring up the context. What's the it? You must lose it. Lose what? Contextually. You must listen, lose this life, this way of thinking that Peter got infected from Satan with. In other words, you must lose, if you want that kind of life from Jesus, you have to lose this selfish, selfish, self-centered, it's all about you. That's the life he's talking about, right? You've got to get rid of that attitude. And again, I think this is why Peter was rebuked so sharply for this. It's the exact opposite of Jesus. It's exactly like Satan, right? Satan's all about self, self, self. Do what you want shall be the whole of law. It's all about you, me, myself, and I. And that's why Jesus said, get behind me. Not Peter. He said, get behind me. Satan. Peter's not Satan, but he's infected with Satan with this attitude. That's where it's coming from. That you somehow shouldn't have to suffer. You, you shouldn't have to pick up your cross and you should please yourself at all times. You see, life is all about you. Haven't you heard the commercials? Huh? Customer's always right. Have it your way. Life's about you and your way and the way you want it. And that's when you're going to have peace. Jesus says, no. If you want his peace, if you want to be his disciples, you've got to lose that attitude. You have to lose that mindset. You've got to stop being so self-centered. And yet, what does our culture feed into us from we high everywhere? The exact opposite. And you wonder why we don't have his peace? In fact, Jesus is really emphatic about this. This is cool. In the Greek, the verb is actually in the continuous. So here's literally what Jesus is saying. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me, listen, so as to make it a habit of life. That's what it says in the Greek. In other words, every single day, day in, day out, you need to keep on losing this attitude of selfishness. Right? Why? Because every single day, what's trying to bombard us with this lie? It's all about you. Every single day, whether it's the media, whether it's the school, whether it's our peers, it's all about self, 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 self. And so every single day, we have to resist that. We have to lose that. We have to turn away from that. Why? Because if you want a regular great life of God's regular great peace, you must daily, regularly make a point of it. Get rid of this selfish, self-centered attitude thinking it's all about you. Why? Because folks, when are we going to learn? How many times have we got to get burned? Have you noticed this? When we or anybody else is being selfish, 
And self comes first. It's all about me and my way. It causes destruction wherever we go, like it did with Cooper. Watch this. We just went through the drive-up window. What did we get, Cooper? Daisy, what did we get at the drive-up window? Would, no, Cooper, let Daisy have some. No, Cooper. Daisy, where did we go? <gasps> did we go to McDonald's? No, Daisy gets hers first. Why does Daisy get hers first? Because Cooper eats his too fast. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> that is so like our dogs at home. Have you been there? It's Brewster. We got Brewster. He's Cooper, right? But Brewster, man, I tell you what, we got this little teeny tiny chicken dog, little chicken chihuahua looking dog thing, right, Sasha? Right? If she even hesitates for a second, it's exactly what he does. Now, I saw that. And I go, man, that's it, man. That's, that's a good visual, right? Let's just close in prayer. No, let me get the point, right? Okay, this is what we're doing, because what was he doing? He's being selfish, right? This is what we're doing, whether we realize it or not, when we don't lose this attitude of selfishness. As adults, we do the same thing, right? I mean, think about it, right? You put self first above a family member or a sibling or a coworker or whoever, whatever, right? In essence, what are you doing? Get out of my way. Right? No, it's all about me. No, it's my way. Right? How many of you guys realize I'm just using that as an illustration? We don't actually... <laughs> But that's really what we're doing. That's what our actions are doing, right? And guess what? It, it hurts relationships. It hurts people. And, puts, and then it gets even worse. See, if that doesn't work, we actually will do what Peter did, believe it or not. Now, we don't usually acknowledge this because, boy, that's pretty harsh. Am I really acting? Yeah, we're acting like that. We will actually rebuke God with statements like this when we don't get our way. When life doesn't go our way, when the circumstances don't come out the way we want them to. You know, the center of the universe, I just, and what we'll say, we'll say, no way, God, this ain't right, this could, no, this will never happen to me, Peter. And then we will actually blame God for not having his peace when we're not listening to what he said to do to get that peace. Because self is still on the throne. Jesus says, you want, you want peace? You, you need to lose that. <laughs> get rid of it every single day. Make it a habit of life, and you'll get God's peace. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he puts it this way. He says, the real cause of failure, ultimately, in marriage, is self. The various manifestations of self. Of course, that's the cause of trouble everywhere, in every realm, not just marriage. Self and selfishness are the greatest disrupting forces in the world. All the major problems confronting the world, whether you look at the matter of a standpoint of nations and statesmen, from the standpoint of industry and social conditions, from any other standpoint, all these troubles ultimately come back to self, to my rights, what I want, who is he, who is she? Self, with all its horrid manifestations, always leads to trouble. Because if two selves come into opposition, there's bound to be a clash. Self always wants everything for itself. That is true of myself. It's equally true of yourself. You have at once two autonomous powers, each derived from himself, and a clash is inevitable. 
Such clashes occur at every level, right up from two people up to great communities and empires and nations. Self-esteem teachings distort the Bible. They reflect our world. They appeal to the natural sinful man. The Bible teaches believers to esteem others better than self, to love one another as we already love ourselves. We don't have to work at that. And to deny yourself daily. Why? Because the world is feeding us a pack of lies. Why is there so much destruction? Why is there so little peace? Why is there so many great nations and, and, and great countries and, and sometimes great families and great people and great marriages and great businesses, even great churches fall? What, what happens? It was going good. Why, why do they fail? Why do they crumble? Why do they go out of existence? Because somewhere along the line, you got tricked and seduced into having a misplaced focus, thinking life was all about you. And even though God warned you about it, every day when you get up and you start chucking this attitude, it's me, my way, at all costs, me, you reap what you sow. Sometimes we don't get it because it doesn't always come back right away. But if you were ever to trace the trail, you would see the reason why you're experiencing the pain you're experiencing now, the reason why things fell apart and crumbled apart is because you started it with your selfishness. Like this guy, watch this. intense let's close in prayer wow <laughs> think about it how many times a day it was later in the day you, know, you forgot about it the first thing you got up that selfish deed and you're just going about your own thing you don't realize all of a sudden oh you got shot in the arm spiritually man what happened with that Right? And you're still trying to recover from that one, and about an hour later, boom, here comes the truck. And you oh God, why is this like? Back it up. How did all this get started? How come that, in, where, who shot that arrow? In the first, where'd that truck come from? You know, it started that morning. The very first thing I did when I got out of bed, it was all about me. And I started throwing milk bottles. And then I act like, I don't know what's happening, right? You reap what you sow. You act like that, it's going to come back at you. It's going to cause destruction. And Jesus says, listen, if anyone would come after me, you've got to deny yourself. Stop throwing milk bottles. Take up your cross and lose that selfish attitude. Why? Because this is the key to have a regular great life. If you want life, lose that. And come follow him and be like him. Be selfless. Do the Father's will, no matter what he says, and you'll have his peace. That's all you got to do. Drop that life. But that's only the first half. The, the second half is we only need to deny ourselves. Now we need to be proactive, right? Now we need to be, uh, uh, get it off ourselves, but get it onto other people. You need to be more concerned about other people just like Jesus. 
And this is what Paul says in this passage uh, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 8. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, anybody glad that you're united with Jesus Christ? Anybody? Right? And Paul said, he goes, in fact, if any comfort from his love, are you comforted by the love that God has for his children? Isn't that awesome? Right? If any fellowship with the Spirit, if you got any tenderness and compassion, then would you please make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose, do nothing out of what? Selfish ambition. It's all about you. This is why I'm doing this or this, or I want this or that self, self. or vain conceit. Flip it around, Christian. But in what? Humility. Consider others what? Better than yourself. Whoa. See, it's not just turn the one off. It's to turn the other one on. Think about other people better than yourselves. Each of you should not only look to your own interest, but what? Outward focus to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus was so outward focused. Here's God. This is God in the flesh. And you would think he, and by all rights, he could have showed up on the scene and says hey serve me and he could no sin no nothing he is god and he deserves to be served but here's jesus you know we're christians followers of christ christians and, and paul says your attitude needs to be this same way christian yes get rid of the selfish ambition yes get rid of the conceits of me me but you need to start becoming outward focused like Jesus who was willing to go to the extreme for others, people, even death on a cross. God. That's what your attitude needs to be. And so surely that's what we're doing, right? Well, first of all, Bobby, thank you for that, but stop calling me Shirley. Second of all, no, it's not. <laughs> okay. You got to throw that one every once in a while. Okay, no, right? Not only is it a challenge, I think sometimes uh, to stop being totally selfish and vain and conceited, Okay, but again, this is once again where we are suffering from this center of the universe-itis thing, okay? And, and this is why if you break it down, again, I think this adds to Jesus' statement, you have to make this a habit of life every single day, day in, day out, every minute of the day, you have to consciously say, no, I'm not going to be selfish. No, I'm not going to be selfish. I'm losing that life. I'm losing that life. No, 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 no. Why? Because have you ever noticed that you can start your day out full of God's peace, and then five seconds later, it's gone? Right? How? Why? I guarantee you, somewhere along the line, self entered the picture. Let me give you some examples. How many of you guys have ever been in the car and you're in a hurry? Always in a hurry, right? Maybe it was this morning on the way to church services. Right? Gotta get there, gotta get there, right? And uh, you're in this big old giant uh, hurry, and uh, to make matters worse, you got stuck behind that, that light, right? The red light, the dreaded red light. Right? You just missed it, man. Right? So you're sitting there, and you're, right, you're steaming, and all of a sudden, here comes that person walking across, walking across real slow, on purpose slow. The light just turned green, but they're in front of your car, still going slow. They can see you're getting edgy because they're looking at you, but then they're looking at you with that look like, how dare you look at me, looking at you, looking at me, looking at you, as they're still walking slow. Now, let me ask you, how are you feeling at that point? Were you full of God's peace? 
or were you wanting to break them into pieces? Right? And that wasn't me. That was my wife on the way. I'm sorry. Pray for her. No. <laughs> I had to say that. Okay. You just got to be there. And I need a ride home. All right. Fine. Whatever. Yeah, I don't know who it was. But anyway. So anyway. So, right? But I mean, have you ever had that happen to you? Right? Oh. Let me give you another one. Right? Moment by moment, you've got to lose this attitude. Self, 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 self. Have you ever been on that plane ride? And you had, you know where I'm going. You had a really several days, you're going crazy, man. You just want to get in the plane. It's crazy. You, know, you just want to get in the plane. What do you want to do? I just want to sleep, okay? Skip your three penis you're going to give me in two little pretzels about that size, okay? I don't want them. I just want to get some sleep. But oh, no. Right, you happen to be seated next to that lady with three unruly kids, and they're fighting, screaming, clawing, kicking the seat. <laughs> now, my point is, are you at peace at that moment, typically? Or are you ready to fall to pieces? Okay, that one was me. No, but anyway. <laughs> Let me give you one more, okay, especially here in Vegas, man. How many times you're sitting there driving the road, maybe you're not in a hurry, whatever, but you always run across these people, right? And they're looking at you, and they're coming your way with that sign. They're always asking you for money right? Like this guy. Let's take a look. Recently, there's been this guy with an interesting sign at I-71 and Hudson Street. His handwritten sign says he has the God-given gift of a great voice. Hey, I'm going to make you work for your dollar. Say something with that great radio voice. When you're listening to nothing but the best of oldies, you're listening to Magic 98.9. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you. And we'll be back with more right after these words. <laughs> And don't forget, tomorrow morning is your chance to win a pair of tickets to see this man live in concert. <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, when I was 14 years old, I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. When I was 14, I kind of listened to one of our area radio announcers. And uh, I went as a field trip to go meet the guy, and he looked nothing like what he sounded like. So I asked him about that, and he said to me, listen, radio is defined theater of mind. And so when he said theater of mind, I just said, well, hey, I can't be an actor. I can't be an on-air personality. But the voice just became something of, uh, of a development over years, and I went to school for it. And then alcohol and drugs and a few other things became a part of my life. And I got two years clean, and I'm trying hard to get it back. And hopefully somebody from one of these television or radio say, hey, I need a voiceover or I, I need something. Now, let's be honest. How many of you guys thought differently of that man at the end of the video than you did at the beginning? Okay? Can I tell you why? This is how deep I believe this self, it's all about self, runs. Scripture is very clear. We shouldn't have even gone down that route. We shouldn't have been thought, thinking bad at all about that guy. Okay? We usually automatically think the worst of people instead of the best of people, like the Bible says to do. Think better of others than yourself. And I think this is why we get so frazzled, okay, over little things in life that it's like, are you serious? That really wigged you out? What's the big deal? Why are we getting all wigged out for? It's because of self. Why do we get so frazzled? Because somebody just crossed the road, so what? Why do we get all wigged out because kids are unruly on a plane? I mean, what's the big deal? What do you expect from kids? What's the big deal that somebody asks us for money? It's not us. It's not them. It's us. It's this attitude. The whole world revolves around us. And if somebody, some encounter, some person invades my universe of self, 
and somehow impacts it in a way that I don't like and I want it to go, yeah, we go nuts. Every minute minute of the day, lose it. Lose that attitude. So as to make it a habit of life and you will not stop experiencing God's peace. You didn't need to lose, you had God's peace when you were driving before that light. You didn't have to lose it. Selfishness killed it. You didn't have to lose his peace on the plane. Selfishness killed it, right? You didn't have to lose it just because you saw a guy on the corner. Selfishness killed it. And then when you're proactive, it actually helps keep that peace going. Let me flip it around. Couldn't it have easily have been this scenario if we do what the scripture says, think better of others? Did it ever occur to you the reason why the guy on the crosswalk was walking so slow and looked so angry? was because he just lost his job that morning and he was trying to cope with it and he was wondering, how in the world am I going to tell my family? Couldn't that have been true? Why wasn't a better thought like that going through our brains? Did it record to you the reason why that lady was having such a hard time with the kids on the plane? Was it because she was flying back to her husband's funeral who just died in Afghanistan and she doesn't know how she's going to tell her kids? Wow. It didn't even cross our minds. Why? Because somewhere along the line, we got tricked to having a misplaced focus, thinking the whole world revolves around us. And even though we got God's peace, you don't pay attention, you don't lose it, you don't shut that off. Moment by moment, we lose it by this self-attitude. And you might think, oh, Pastor, I get that, okay? I get get that. I'm supposed to be outward focused. I'm supposed to think better than others. I'm supposed to deny myself. I'm supposed to lose that attitude. But how in the world am I supposed to think uh, good of somebody when they really, truly treat me bad? Well, again, you just do what the scripture says to do, and you still don't have to lose this peace. Jesus encountered this. 1 Peter 2, verse 19 through 23. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of what? unjust suffering. It's not just things aren't going to go your way. It's just there are some times people are going to do some bad stuff. But do you have to lose his peace, God's peace? No. Okay? Uh, it's unjust suffering because he's conscious of God. But if, how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? In other words, you do eye for an eye. You get old self. Fighting back. That, how, what? That's not the way to go. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were what? Called. Why? Because you're a Christian. You're a follower of Christ. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. And listen, when they heard their insults at him, he didn't even what? He didn't even retaliate. When he suffered, he what? He didn't make any threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him, God, who judges justly. You see Jesus freaking out on the cross? No, of course not. Was he uh, enduring unjust behavior? Of course. But what was his attitude? Why, how was he able to have such a mindset? How was he able to have such peace? And he's literally suffering unjust treatment. What's he say there? He entrusted himself to God. In this situation, to God, who judges just. Can I translate that for you? Did you know that nobody gets away with nothing? And that even though you don't have the ability to dish out the spanking, God can and God will. You know why? Because when we get out of line, what's God do? 
he'll bring you spanking winky too, right? He doesn't play favorites. And so I don't have to worry about that. I entrust that person what they did. I entrust that situation over to them, even though it was unjust. I'll let God deal with you. Not there, because we can still be bitter. Here's where the freedom comes. Here's where you're set free. Here's where the peace overflows. Then all of a sudden, you're able by the Spirit of God to pull off one of the most amazing selfless statements ever of somebody suffering the ultimate unjust suffering. Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they do. Isn't that wild? How do you change your culture? One selfless act at a time. What did Telemachus do? In the name of Jesus, stop! Do you know how we change our culture today, Christian? We follow Jesus Christ. Anybody knows that when Jesus walked this planet, boy, did he change the culture. Right? Do you know when Paul got cut loose on his missionary journeys, what happened? Boy, did he change the culture. Why? Because what's the same pattern in all three? Jesus, Paul, Telemachus, every one of them lived a selfless life. An outward focus, I'm willing to suffer and think better of others. I'm willing to put my life on the line so that they could come to know Jesus Christ. And what happened to the culture? Early church. Early church, in no time at all, unjust suffering. Thousands of our brothers and sisters in Christ dying like flies, being burned alive, covered in tar. And lit on fires, lampposts in Nero's garden. And yet, when all was said and done, when the flames went out, Christianity overtook the Roman culture. Why? Because Christianity is about following Jesus. This is how we change our culture. This is how we make a difference before he comes back and gets us. We've got to lose this selfless, this selfish life from this world. Lose it. Get rid of it every day. Make a habit of it. And one person at a time, one family at a time, one church at a time, one business at a time, one nation at a time, as the encounter comes up, we say stop in the name of Jesus Christ by being selfless like Jesus Christ and lead them to him. If you want to be his disciple, deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Come follow him. Make this a habit of life. And you will not only experience his peace on a much greater basis, but you'll finally have, Christian, a life worth living for, being used of God to affect a whole nation in these last days. Let's be that church. Let's be those people today. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness, or the wrong things that we have done, have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin, or unholiness, uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy 
and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay, the Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how... Uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word. Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest, we've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you, that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says, we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing 
and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it and they can't earn it. If he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day, that you're still alive. God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.